Hi guys, it's me, Professor D, and if you've been following me, you've been following my podcast, welcome back. If you're new, welcome home. We're all a family here, and we all have one goal, to go ahead and pass the state exam to be a nurse practitioner, whether you're testing for AANP or ANCC. Regardless, if you do what you're supposed to do, study right, study the right material, practice questions, you will be successful. So on this podcast, guys, I'm going to cover type 2 diabetes. And regardless of the state that you are testing in, you're going to get at least two questions on this. Now, I want you to think about it, guys. Almost 10% of the U.S. population is diabetic. So you already know you're going to get questions on this. And I want you to think of it this way. When it comes to testing, these test writers, when the state decides to test you to see if you meet the minimum competency requirements, they are not going to waste a valuable, beautiful test question on something that only one in 50 million people ever get, because the whole point is to see if you're going to be safe. So they're going to ask you questions on the type of patients you are most likely to see in the clinical setting. And so you know the biggies, your diabetes, your your hypertension, your heart disease, your kidney failures, the biggies that you know patients have all the time, those are what you're going to be questioned about the most. And so what I cover are the questions, well, the content, I should say, the content that you are most likely to see on your state exam. So we're going to talk about diabetes. And as you know, diabetes is huge. There is no way that I'm going to cover everything that you need to know um, in just one podcast, but I can do it in two. So this podcast is going to be the important things you need to know as far as, you know, assessment and differential diagnoses, um, teaching. And part two that you're going to get next week is going to go over uh, prescribing the medications. Okay. So let's get started. You guys know what diabetes is. And, you know, when it comes to diabetes, which is basically that patient's blood sugar being too high, it's happening because of one of three things, or it may be a combination. That patient can have uh, abnormal insulin secretion. So if they're not secreting enough insulin, remember insulin is that key to get all that sugar out of the blood. So the sugar is going to stay in the blood and it's not going to go to the tissues where it needs to be. So it could be because of abnormal insulin secretion. It can be because of resistance to insulin. So the patient's actually making enough insulin. They're secreting enough insulin, but uh, the body's resistant to it. And the third reason can be maybe they don't have enough, you know, insulin receptors, so they're, um, the insulin can't be used effectively. So those are the three reasons most likely why a patient will have type 2 diabetes. Now, um, don't forget, guys, the biggest difference between our type 1 and type 2, and I'm also going to do a podcast. I can't speak. I'm going to do a podcast on type 1 because uh, many of you who are testing are testing for FNP, where you're going to be seeing peds and adults. And you better believe if you're testing for uh, FNP, you're going to be seeing pediatric uh, cases. You're going to get several questions on your type 1. So look out for that. But anyway, your biggest difference, guys, between your type 1 and your type 2, with our patients who have type 1, they're insulin dependent. They will die and they'll die very quickly if they don't get insulin versus our type 2 where they may secrete or make enough insulin, but they just need that kick. So they won't die as fast as a patient with type 1. And I'll explain that more when I get into type 1. So 
um, important things you need to know. I talked to you about the three most in, um, uh, most common reasons why patients uh, type 2 diabetic. Professor D, do I need to know this? Absolutely. Guys, if I'm talking about it, that means you need to know for an exam. So again, three reasons. Either they're not secreting um, enough insulin or they are secreting enough insulin, but the body's resistant to it, or they just don't have enough insulin receptors so um, that insulin can't be used effectively. Now, something else that you absolutely need to know, they ask about this a lot, is um, risk factors. And one of the biggest, well, yeah, one of the biggest, I don't want to, no, no, let me back up, let me back up, because I'm not going to talk about risk factors yet. Let's talk about who we tend to see this more in, and I'm going somewhere with this. We tend to see this uh, very often in African-Americans, Hispanics, or African-American, Hispanics, and uh, American Indians. And the reason I'm telling you this, guys, is very often on test questions, they will give you that race and that race is supposed to be a clue because there are certain races when it comes to test questions for NP guys that will give you a hint of where they're going with this, okay? So this is very important to know, especially blacks. They love saying black, 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 and it's true, guys. Very, very, very often we will see the diabetic type 2 in African-Americans. So African-American, American Indian, Hispanic, Pacific Islanders. Now let's talk about risk factors. This is huge. You guys have to know um, primary preventative measures. And, the, you know, with primary preventative measures, what is it, guys? It's teaching and vaccination. Well, we don't know what to teach the patient to stay away from or what not to do if we don't know what the risk factors are, right? So it's very important. Risk factors for type 2. BMI greater than 25. So you already know your teaching is going to be what? Lose some weight. Matter of fact, weight loss is the number one goal for obese patients with type 2 diabetes. That is the number one goal. Okay? So a risk factor is a BMI higher than 25, and we're going to teach that patient to what? Lose some weight. We want them to um, lose weight gradually because if they do it quickly, they're going to do what? Yo-yo. They're going to lose it, then, you know, gain gain it back, gain even more, lose gain. So we want them to do it gradually. What's another risk factor? Having gestational diabetes. If when they were pregnant, they had diabetes, gestational diabetes, that is a risk factor for developing type 2 diabetes down the road. What else? High cholesterol. If the triglycerides are high, when I say high, I'm talking about more than 250. So if the triglycerides are increased and your HDL, H starts HDL, H, we want it to be high. High starts with an H. That's how you remember we want it up. If the HDL is low instead of up, the HDL, if it's less than 35, that's a risk factor. So the triglycerides being more than 250 and the HDL being less than 35 is also a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. Hypertension. If the patient is hypertensive, they have chronic hypertension, that is a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. And any conditions, guys, that are associated with insulin resistance, that's obviously going to be a, a risk factor for type 2 diabetes because if the body's in, uh, resistant to the insulin, that sugar is going to stay where? In the blood instead of going to those target tissues and organs where they belong. 
And the last one I want to go over is sedentary lifestyle. The patient being a, uh, a couch potato. They need to get up, move around, exercise. And guys, there are lots of other risk factors. I'm just giving you the ones that you're most likely to see on your um, exam, but make sure you study everything because I don't write these tests, okay? All right, so what's this patient going to look like? They come into the office. Um, what are the signs and symptoms? What are you going to be looking for? Well, if the patient complains of always having, you know, skin infections, every time I turn around, I've got a skin infection. Well, I want you guys to think about this. Bacteria loves what? Dark, sugary environments. Why do you think this patient's always having skin infection? Because the sugar's always so high. If they're complaining of the classic three, and you guys know what the classic three is because you're all at least registered nurses, your polydipsia, polyuria, polyphagia. One of the first things that needs to be coming to your mind is what? Diabetes, right? You better be taking that patient's blood glucose, right? Blurred vision. If they're obese, you know, you do a, a, a quick glucose check. That glucose is increased. Um, you do a urinalysis and you're seeing protein in the urine. Is there supposed to be protein in the urine? Absolutely not. So we know we got some, um, the kidneys are involved now. What else? If uh, the patient's constantly having uh, uh, fungal infections, again, in that urinalysis, you do that UA and you see sugar in the urine. Is there ever, ever supposed to be uh, sugar in the urine? That's their glucose urea? No. All of those are assessment findings that you should see for uh, diabetes uh, type 2. So what would your differential be? Okay, so your you're thinking, okay, type 2, but it could be some other things. So what are you going to have in mind besides the diabetes type 2? Pre-diabetes, Cushing's. Remember Cushing's, too much salt, too much sex, too much what? Sugar. Maybe patient um, has been taking steroids for uh, an extended amount of time. Remember, steroids increased your blood sugar. So those are some good differential diagnoses for your type 2 um diabetics. Now, if you guys are going to order labs, definitely beyond the shadow of a doubt, what is an important lab that you're going to order for this patient? It's going to be the hemoglobin A1C, right? That patient comes in, they know you're going to test them. You know, they might have eaten a salad the night before, had nothing for breakfast. So you just take a quick fasting blood sugar and it's normal. No, we need that hemoglobin A1C so we can see what your blood sugar has honestly been looking like for the past 90 days. Okay. Very, very important. So with me talking about that hemoglobin A1C and how important it is to test that, well, what is a diagnostic criteria for diabetes type 2? Guys, if you go directly um, to the American Diabetes Association website, you'll see this criteria. And this is a criteria that you'll be tested against. So you need to know this. Okay. If you take the patient's fasting blood glucose, if it's higher than 126, they cannot be diagnosed as type 2 diabetes until it's confirmed on a different day. So that one time that you take that fasting blood glucose and it's higher than 126, they're not diabetic yet. You have to take another fasting blood glucose on a different day and it has to be higher than one, higher or equal to 126 or higher. Okay, on two different occasions for you to be able to diagnose this as type 2 diabetes. Let's say the patient ate that morning. You can't do a fasting, so you're doing a random. Well, when it comes to a random, it has to be 200 or more. But listen, guys, 
Not only does it have to be 200 or more, the patient has to be symptomatic. So you're taking the blood glucose, it's random, it doesn't have to be fasting. The number has to be 200 or more, but they also have to be symptomatic. So they're complaining of the polydipsia, polyuria, polyphagia, maybe some fatigue, blurred vision, um, some type of uh, maybe... Uh, um, uh, uh, they're complaining of excessive urination, some some type of symptom. They have to be symptomatic along with that um, blood glucose being 200 or more, okay? Or here's another way that can be diagnosed. If, guys, I'm sorry, if you hear me, I keep pausing. My child is testing and he's supposed to text me when he's done testing and my phone's all the way over there. So I keep pausing so I can check to see if he tested me. If he texted me, my apologies. Another way, guys, uh, this patient can be diagnosed as type 2 diabetic is if you do a two-hour plasma glucose uh, test on this patient, again, 200 or higher. However, they have to have gotten that oral glucose tolerance test with a 75-gram glucose load or their blood sugar being higher than 200 but confirmed on a different day. So I know that can be confusing, so let me repeat that again. If you do the random plasma glucose, so they don't have to be fast, fasting, it's random. For them to be diagnosed as diabetic, it has to be 200 or more with symptoms, or you do the two-hour plasma glucose, and it's 200 or more with the oral glucose tolerance test where you use that 75-gram glucose load. Or they have to be 200 or more, but... You confirm it on a different day. So if that patient, you do a random plasma glucose, and that number is 200 or more, you cannot diagnose it as, diagnose it as diabetes unless you confirm it on a different day. If they're 200, but they're not symptomatic, they're just 200. The number's 200, they have no symptoms. You have to have them come on another day, and you take it again. If it's 200 again, then you it's confirmed, okay, it's diabetes. But if you take their random glucose, it's 200, but they're also symptomatic, you can diagnose this as diabetes. Or you can do the two-hour plasma glucose. Again, has to be 200 or more. You do it with that oral, you know, you do the oral glucose tolerance test. You use the 75-gram glucose, type 2 diabetic, okay? Third way patient can be diagnosed. Hemoglobin A1C. If the hemoglobin A1C, which I told you, if you suspect that the patient's diabetic, you better order hemoglobin A1C if it's 6.5 or higher. Because remember, and the reason why with the hemoglobin A1C, guys, we don't need to do another confirmation. That test lets us know what the patient's blood sugars look like for the past 90 days. So there's no reason to have to confirm anything. So, Keeping that line of the hemoglobin A1C being more or equal to 6.5, you guys have to know that magic number. You have to also do teaching to patients that maybe they're not at the 6.5, but they're close. If that patient's at 5.7, so they haven't reached 6.5, but they're getting close. They're already 5.7. You have to start doing teaching with that patient. You don't want to wait until they hit 6.5 and be like, oh, you're diabetic. Sorry. So you want to catch the patient before they get there. So once that patient hits 5.7, they are what's known as pre-diabetic. 
Okay, so all the teaching you're going to be doing for the diabetic patient, hopefully we can catch them before they're diabetic and start doing teaching with them once they hit that 5.7, because at 5.7, they are pre-diabetic. So before we start teaching, you know, management, let's start talking about prevention. What can patients do to prevent this from happening? Diet exercise. And when I say exercise, let me be specific because I used to think that exercise was just, okay, I used to, when I, I used to work in this building and I would take the stairs instead of um, the elevator. And I thought that was exercise. So every time I went to the doctor and they were like, you know, have you been exercising? I'm like, oh yeah, every day. No, that is not exercise. I'm talking about walking briskly 30 minutes a day. Okay, or at the minimum every other day, brisk walk 30 minutes. Diet, low fat, low carb, low uh, calorie diet. Let's talk about some uh, management. How are you going to teach a patient to manage this? Number one, lose weight. Number two, this patient, if they are newly diagnosed as a diabetic, you need to refer them to a registered dietitian. Okay, so you're going to be ordering, um, well, no, let me back up because now we already know that they're diabetic, it's confirmed, you're going to refer them to a uh, uh, registered dietitian so they can learn the types of foods that they need to eat, when they need to eat those type of foods, what foods to stay away from. You're also going to teach them, stay away from alcohol, stay away from smoking, including e-cigarettes, because I don't know why people tend to think that e-cigs are safe or safer, and they're not. They're just as harmful. Again, you're going to teach them they need to exercise, take brisk walks every day. If they can't, every other day. You're going to uh, teach that patient they need to, you know, get their teeth checked, get an oral examination. You are going to refer them to the ophthalmologist. Because as you can recall, the number one cause of uh, blindness here in the U.S. is caused to what? Is not caused to, is due to what? Diabetes, diabetic retinopathy. So you're going to also refer that patient to um, ophthalmologist, I can't pronounce it, ophthalmologist. At the time of diagnosis, guys, just like you're going to refer them to the dietitian, the registered dietitian, you're going to refer them to the ophthalmologist, and they're going to have to continue getting their eyes assessed every two years. You're going to teach the patient how to, you know, check their extremities, the feet every single day, use a mirror if they have to. And uh, I said, guys, I said on part two, I'm going to go over the medications and I am, but I do want to say this to you because if I have to choose one thing that they ask about the most when it comes to type two diabetes, as far as um, treatment, it's this. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say to you on this podcast, and then I'm going to repeat it again on the next one when I go over medications. The number one choice when it comes to medication management. This is our first line um, class treatment for type 2 diabetics, guys, is our bagwinides, our metformin. Okay? Unless it's contraindicated, that is the first thing you are expected to order for the patient. Okay? Right after the metformin is the sulfonylureas. But the metformin really is the first 
uh, class drug when it comes to type two diabetic that you type two diabetic, excuse me, that you're expected to order. Um, you guys know it's not insulin; it's uh, taken by mouth, and the effectiveness is just wonderful. I'm going to get into this next next week, but I just want to make sure I mention that to you. So do not forget, bigonide metformin, and next week I'll talk to you about everything you have to teach the patient in regards to metformin because, you know, there are some contraindications and some adverse effects that you absolutely need to know about. But with that being said, guys, that's basically your type 2 diabetes um, in a nutshell on what you guys need to know for your exam. Of course, the little details, please read your textbook. I do not write this exam, guys. So don't say that I told you this is all you need to know. I'm just covering what you are most likely to see on your uh, exam. Guys, if you have any classmates or anybody you know they've graduated that are studying for their boards, please refer my podcast because I'm really trying to grow. Um, And as you can see, you don't hear uh, anything cutting off my podcast in the middle of it, no advertisers, no nothing. I have absolutely no support. I'm doing this for you guys on my spare time, and I'm really trying to keep it routine. So if you guys can please help me grow so one day I can get some support, I'd really appreciate it. Um, all right, guys, watch out for my podcast next week. It's going to be released Sunday, 1 p.m. It's going to be tar- type two. It's going to be part two of type two diabetes, and I'm going to be covering drugs.